This episode of Life Behind Bars is brought to you by Knob Creek Rye. Welcome to another edition of Life Behind Bars. I'm Noah Rothbaum, the Daily Beast Half Full Editor. Joining me, as always, is my colleague and co-host, David Weintrich. How are you, Dave? I'm doing good. How are you? I am well. I'm very excited for today's episode, uh, talking about a, a topic that um, you and I often talk about, the subject of rye whiskey um, and its sort of rebirth. Thank God for that. Yeah. You know, there's an unlikely savior in, in, in the rye whiskey story, just as sort of we enter the darkest period for rye whiskey when there were very few people drinking it and even fewer people making it. The, the bourbon distillers kind of stepped in and, and really stepped up to start making rye in addition to, to bourbon. It's definitely unlikely. It wasn't uh, necessarily their specialty. No. I'm a native son of the uh, heartland of rye whiskey, which is Western Pennsylvania. Not very far from Kentucky, but far enough. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and I think what people don't realize is that it's not quite, you know, like oh well, you know, you know, bourbon is obviously predominantly corn; it has to be at least fifty-one percent, and then rye is at least fifty-one percent rye. And it's it sounds simple just to say, oh, like we'll switch from corn to rye and we'll make whiskey. But rye is, you know, has presents some production challenges where the mash is a lot stickier, and you get foaming issues that you don't really get with bourbon, and it's a little bit you know, uh, harder to make and it's especially very hard to make if you're only going to make it one day a year or, right. or, you know, which a lot of the bourbon um, companies were doing. So it, it is, it is different to make. <laughs> There's well, no other way yeah, around it. Different. And it used to be made by rye specialists. Right. Now, what we don't understand is how big an industry uh, we lost in Pennsylvania and Maryland. Uh, I've got some, some figures from uh, 1899, right? And this is talking about bonded whiskey, so the high end of the market, stuff that was four years old at least and, uh, you know, made in one distillery in one season, uh, bottled at uh, 50%. So this was, this was the good stuff. A total of uh, 189 uh, million gallons, I believe this is in, in thousands of gallons, maybe it's 189,000 gallons of uh, bourbon whiskey uh, were were bottled as bottled in bond in, in America that year, it was uh, 203,000 gallons of rye whiskey. So rye had just edged out bourbon on the high end. Wow. If you look at uh, total production, uh, there's more bourbon made than rye, but a lot of that was not made in Kentucky. It was being made in places like uh, Missouri and Illinois in uh, you know huge volume uh, sort of industrial distilleries. But the 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 craft stuff was pretty much neck and neck. Yeah. Of those two hundred and three thousand gallons of rye, uh, one hundred thirty six thousand gallons were made in uh, the twenty third district of Pennsylvania, which is southwest of Pittsburgh uh, or south of Pittsburgh. So uh, it was all a very concentrated uh, industry, making you know these these large quantities of this high quality rye, and these people had uh, like. They had an aesthetic about it. You know, it wasn't yeah. just rye as just a kind of whiskey we make. These are people who've been making it for a hundred years and more and uh, really uh, had, had, a, had a feeling for it. The same as in Kentucky, they had a feeling for bourbon and an affection for it. It's interesting. I mean, I found an article from 1896, you and I 
doing a little 1800s reading as, <laughs> as we're wanted to do. We're well, a little behind, we're a little behind the time. Days, yeah, Noah, exactly. We're just catching you know, up. We've made it to the late 1800s in our stack of newspapers. Yeah. Um, but in 1896, the New York Times said that, quote, bourbon is not a favorite in the East or South. It is drunk mostly in Kentucky and in the West. It is made from corn, not rye. And the East prefers a rye or a blended whiskey. The South drinks either rye or the deceptive variety of corn liquor that is known as Mountain Dew, which <laughs> I think is kind of amazing, but also, yeah. you know, upsets so many of the myths that we, you know, we, we have today about this idea that like, you know, bourbon was this, you know, sort of widely, you know, um, popular drink all over the South when really. Yeah, it wasn't necessarily. Yeah. I mean, it was Kentucky, the, the, the yeah. wild West, you know, you've written about in some stories for the daily beast about sort of the, or culture and, you know, kind of these, you know, all these, you know, kind of crazy saloons, you know, on, you know, as, as America kept pushing further west and, and bourbon is obviously popular in these saloons. Um, well, uh, I mean, the advantage of bourbon was was it was always great for sipping straight, you know. Right. And uh, rye uh, is a little bit funkier than bourbon and a little bit rougher. It wasn't necessarily a mellow sipping whiskey. It had a little bit of the rip roaring to it. Yeah, it's a little. It could be a little brash, a little unctuous, you know, uh, some funky, funky notes there. Um, but it is funny. I mean, even through the, you know, the, you know, the end of the eighteen hundreds for another four years, and then you know, through really, you know, the teens, the twenties, the thirties, mm-hmm. the forties, fifties, you, you, those kind of drinking patterns continue, and, and and the folks in Kentucky didn't have a particularly high opinion of rye whiskey <laughs> and um yeah. you know there was a real separation now i mean now we most people love you know who love whiskey love all whiskey right they love right. scotch they love bourbon they love rye they love japanese whiskey and now it's like you know back in the day it was like you were a rye drinker or you were a bourbon drinker right. and like most people did not appreciate both <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, it was like two different teams the rye drinkers just start fading you know yeah in uh, the middle of the of the 20th century Partly, I think it was a more urban and industrial uh, group of people, and a lot of those people switched to things like scotch, yeah, and uh, and you know vodka and Bacardi and you know whatever uh, they they were drinking other things, and the bourbon drinkers were a little more traditional, and they they kind of stuck to the bourbon. Yeah, I mean, I think- to see these brands melt down and fall by the wayside one after another in the 1950s, you know, rye just stanks. It's hard because prohibition obviously plays a big fact in this, and we, we've talked about this before in previous episodes. But you know, all the whiskey distilleries practically shut down, you know, for prohibition. I mean, you have just a handful that have a so-called medicinal license, and most of those folks are bourbon, right? Um, and and they're allowed to bottle and sell whiskey, you know, through pharmacies and to doctors, and mm-hmm. um, and then you know after prohibition's over there's a few years when the whiskey distilleries can rebuild and then they're shut down again for world war ii you know where they're all making you know war goods Um, right and then you know by the end of all of that you know it's uh, you know people's tastes have totally changed right it's and everybody's yeah everybody's drinking blended whiskey you know which is what they what they can sell i mean that they've got to stretch out their stocks of straight whiskey so the name of the game is blends and that kind of just wipes out uh, the the rye market in particular yeah. and you have gis coming back from europe who've you know had 
a lot of blended scotch or they're, you know, have had a lot of rum, which was widely available to mm-hmm. you know, the armed forces. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard, I think, for Rye to restart up and the kind of that traditional, it had such a unique and, and traditional like flavor that to reintroduce that, you know, decades after its heyday, it's, it's hard. Yeah. I mean, in the, the mid 20th century is not a great time for things with lots of flavor. Right. That's when you see Jamaican, <laughs> you know, right. which was the rye whiskey of rums, you know, yeah. you see all, all these things just kind of uh, fading, anything with a lot of flavor. Uh, the rye gets edged out by Canadian whiskey as much as anything. Yeah. Which has a little bit of the flavor, but is, is, is a lot smoother and uh, lighter. Those rye drinkers are just not, not coming back. Bourbon, I think, fares a little bit better, you know, through the, you know, the 50s and 60s, you know, where people have this idea that the man in the gray flannel suit was this amazing cocktail drinker, you know, and it's right. like, I mean, you know, the, the so-called madmen of, of, of that era were drinking, you know, maybe old fashions, martinis, you know, simple two, three ingredient yeah. classics, and then tiki drinks, and then not a lot else. I mean, it's not a wonderful time, really, for no, not so much. Bars and um, bourbon kind of holds on, and but really by you know the the seventies, it's 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 bad for all whiskey. You know the the market kind of falls out. You know for in Scotland and yeah. in America for all kinds of whiskey, and and really, I mean it's 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 a moment like a huge moment in in the history of whiskey. It's like, is this going to disappear? Right. <laughs> you know, like, no. is this? I mean. Like, Fortunately for bourbon, it had a good, strong regional identity, you know, yeah, it, had a, it, it was attached to, uh, it had become a part of Southern culture, the corn whiskey that they were drinking in the East, the, the, you know, the Southeast had yielded to bourbon finally, and everybody kind of agreed that bourbon is good stuff. But uh, the industrial Northeast, the, the rye country, they had kind of moved away, you know, and uh, yeah. they didn't really have that, uh, that, that, uh, that identity in the same way it leaves rye kind of orphaned the mid seventies by that point, you know, we, we serve, serve this peak and then now we're coming down for, you know, in a good 20, 30 years, um, you know, in terms of whiskey drinking and, Mm -hmm. you know, the bourbon, you know, distillers, you know, you know, it's kind of amazing, but talk about partisan politics, they reach across the aisle, if you will. Right. And they're like, okay, like, you know, these rye brands, you know, are, are dying and, and some of the bourbon brands started buying up the intellectual property and, you know, and the recipes and continuing to produce rye, you know, and, and either under their own name or under these names that they bought. And, um, yeah. you know, I think times were so hard for whiskey distillers that, you know, you're right, like, you know, bourbon had been able to, you know, cultivate this real following in, in certain areas and rye too, like obviously, People in Baltimore and Pennsylvania still continued to really want rye, and, and even though a small amount of sales was enough yeah. to interest a lot of the bourbon brands. Any niche was, you know, it was worth uh, pursuing at least for for some of the distillers. Uh, you know, some of the, some of the uh, the Kentucky distillers to make it through assembled these these wild portfolios of of, of all kinds of little niche brands that had their regional markets. You know, and that was a way of getting through. I mean, it was any profit was not to be sneezed at. And people forget that, you know, some of the bourbon distillers went even further afield, joining with companies that made all types of consumer products, right? Anything to eke out profit and to survive. 
I always thought it was interesting that the bourbon distillers, you know, began to produce rye and, um, you know, really did so for the next 20, 30 years without really anybody else making rye. They had some experience with it. Even going back to 1899, the 5th District of Kentucky made 67,000 uh, gallons of rye. That's that's not nothing. Yeah, you know? that's uh, true. They made, uh, no, I'm sorry, 13,000 versus 16,000 of, of, uh, of bourbon. Uh, but it's still... You know, it's okay. It's much less, but it's it's not nothing. Uh, so they 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 made some bourbon, uh, and I mean they made a lot of bourbon. They made some rye, and they made it a little bit differently. They used they used corn in the in the formula. Most of the rye distillers uh, uh, used only uh, rye and barley malt. Interesting. In Pennsylvania, that is, and yeah. Maryland, and then in the West, in Kentucky, they also used corn uh, and made a little bit of a softer formula a little bit of a softer rye you know a little less lean yeah uh a little more more dippable and the rye that they made in kentucky you know back in the days is not so dissimilar to some of the bourbons that are produced today i mean the the ratios you know traditionally the bourbon recipe is mostly corn but then rye and then a little bit of malted barley so i mean if you tweak the ratio slightly then it's it's not that big of a drum no. And, you know, make it more rye than than uh, than corn, and obviously in America we mash all of our grains together anyway, right? We're in Canada; right. they mash and distill and age all the grains separately. Um, so, I mean, it's 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 not that big of a jump to to switch the ratio, so it's a little bit more corn and a little bit less rye. <laughs> um, yeah. And usually, the Kentucky rye's, uh, you know, in the modern age, anyway, are. Uh, only just over the, the the legal limit, you know. They they tend to be like fifty rye in the fifty one fifty two percent, and and then a, a good whack of corn. And you know, they these make really delicious whiskeys. Uh, yeah. As far as I'm concerned, those are the ones I grew up with. You know, I miss the the days of of rye being made in Pennsylvania. I mean, the early part of my yeah making rye, it was still being made there, but. You know, I couldn't have told told you the difference. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. Now we're getting the uh, the high rye formulas again, and all the all kinds of interesting stuff like that. Ultimately, the bourbon folks really save rye. I mean, that's that's the yeah. bottom line. I mean, without them, it, I mean, it was hard enough to bring back rye. I mean, you and I have seen it in the last twenty years, and and played a played a role in writing about it and talking about rye and and supporting our friends who make rye, but. Really, I mean, that was, it was hard enough to bring back rye, oh, yeah. even with the support of the bourbon folks. But if if they had not made rye at all, like I, I don't, oh, it would have been well, that much harder to bring back. You could compare it to another uh, American uh, traditional American spirit that was hugely popular in this country was uh, peach brandy. Right? Yeah, made from peaches. Peach brandy was hugely popular in the 19th century. It stopped being made in the 20th century, and there were no big distilleries. So the only people making peach brandy now are micro distilleries and they've gotten zero traction with it. Yeah. And I could see the same thing happening with rye. You know, yeah. if it was only micro distilleries or small distilleries bringing rye back, it's a, a huge lift. Yeah. And it's very difficult. Yeah. Uh, but fortunately they, you know, they, they were, there were large distilleries still still making some at least and making and able to make more quickly and uh, who had distribution networks and all that. And, you know, peach brandy's got none of that. And yeah. people are really struggling. People have tried to make it and they've made very good ones, but 
good luck selling it. (laughs) Exactly. After seeing the rebirth of Rye, you know, I'm not going to give up hope, you know, at at times. It seems seems so bleak for the return of Rye. You know, it's, I think we're, we're now so used to seeing it on, uh, you know, behind the bar and on liquor store shelves that we've sort of forgotten, you know, what a struggle it was to get it back. And, oh my God. And I was, I remember being so happy, you know, whenever I found the bottle of rye 10, 15 that was a, years It was ago. a real, you know, unicorn for a yeah. while there. Yeah. Before, before people were, you know, raiding liquor stores for unusual bottles. <laughs> I was just looking for rye. I didn't, you know. I mean, uh, it was up there with the finding the, bottle of maraschino you know right exactly exactly people have real booze (laughs) yeah exactly joining us in a minute we have a couple of special guests from uh knob creek adam harris and beth burrows who talk sort of about the the modern era of bourbon producers and uh how they've sort of helped bring rye to a new level Welcome, Beth Burrows and Adam Harris. Thanks for joining us today. I appreciate it. Bourbon and rye are some of my favorite spirits of all time. So, uh, you know, any any opportunity to chat whiskey um, with you two, I am always happy to do. Thanks. You both work for Knob Creek, you know, one of the most, um, you know, iconic, you know, uh, American whiskey brands. Most people, I think of it as... I think of a bourbon brand, but obviously, you know, a big part of the business now is also rye whiskey, right? Yes. You know, we have been making at our distillery, the James B. Beam Distilling Company, where Knob Creek is part of the small batch. We've been doing uh, small batch bourbon for over 25 years, since 1992 at this point. And Knob Creek certainly has become uh, one of those go-to premium bourbons out there. And we're very happy about that. But we've also had a lot of fun in the last uh, handful plus years kind of branching out into the rye category, but sort of keeping the same uh, ethos uh, and and, and uh, intent behind the rye that we release under the Knob Creek name as like the bourbon that we release under Knob Creek with those big, bold flavors. Jim Beam has been making rye whiskey for a long time, you know, and has been, you know, helped sort of sustain it you know, in, in, in those dark years when, you know, rye was being made, you know, I don't know, one day a month, you know, which was enough mm-hmm. to sustain, uh, <laughs> to sustain most drinkers, you know, yeah, we've seen the kind of come roaring back the, the demand. And, you know, do you think that, you know, um, Booker No, who obviously created Knob Creek and, you know, was one of the fathers of the rebirth of American whiskey. Do you think that, you know, he would have welcomed this this rebirth of rye, um, or, or you know, uh, uh, you know, tradition. I know the bourbon guys were a little. There's a lot of competition between the bourbon guys, in Kentucky, and then the rye distillers up in uh, in the Mid Atlantic states. I think because Booker was so excited about pushing the envelope and doing things differently, but still also hearkening back to the beginning of bourbon making, you know, and with rye being our secondary grain, I think that he has a, a special place. He would have had a special place in his heart for rye. So for it to be coming back and for us to be kind of leading that charge, I think he'd be pretty proud. I agree. And I think that, you know, his innovative spirit and always just trying to release the best stuff out there. You know, I think that even though the only rye that was really under his purview during his time as master distiller was the Jim Beam rye. But we had an amazing uh, bottle come out just a few years ago with his name on it, the Booker's uh, Rye Whiskey, which was, um, you know, made by him. It was 
had some really great uh, statistics to it as far as age and proof go. But as far as like some of the some of the really impactful stuff, it was some of the last whiskey that he actually made and, and put up in a warehouse. And that was a, a high rye rye for us. So uh, that met that Kentucky rye or that Kentucky style rye requirement, but actually had a little bit more rye to the base as well. So I'd say that he he'd probably say that he saw it coming. <laughs> yeah. Probably so. Yeah. 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 <laughs> he'd be like, oh yeah, yeah I already knew. I, I totally knew. Look at me. <laughs> Way ahead of the curve. It is interesting because, you know, obviously, you know, some, you know, um, bourbons, we have weeded bourbons, right? Also in the, mm-hmm. you know, the beam um, uh, catalog is makers, which is famously, you know, it, it, all bourbon has to be at least, 51% corn, and then we see a little bit of malted barley, and then, you know, some people put, you know, uh, wheat, like Makers, right, which gives that nice, mm-hmm. sweeter, smoother flavor, and then you get rye, right, which is the even more popular third grain, and, and knob, I think, you know, really, I'd almost say that the secret ingredient to knob is, is the rye, right? I mean, that's what gives it kind of its, like, oomph, you know, that backbone. Yeah, I think, and I think that, you know, historically you think about how as whiskey makers moved into the Virginia Commonwealth, Southern breadbasket of the Midwest at the time, what would become Kentucky. And I think that they brought that, that know-how with how to work with rye into the equation as they sort of moved into the area that sort of incentivized them to work with corn a little bit more, but kind of using those two is like the, using that corn grain to give you that big base. And then knowing that that rye would provide that nice spice, I think that you have uh, you can kind of see like the entomology, I guess, of how that began, right? And how, how we started working with those grains. I would say that rye is kind of like the, the sort of backbone of, of knob mm-hmm. and that, that most people don't realize that maybe even that, you know, it's, you know, we think bourbon and we don't realize like rye is contribution to the whiskey. You know, we, we only think of the corn and, and maybe the malted barley, even though it's a very small amount, but like corn gets, you know, top billing for bourbon, but sure. like things like Knob Creek, like really kind of the secret ingredient is rye, you know, that kind of gives it its, you know, backbone and a spiciness. For sure. Yeah. I, was, I mean, Knob Creek in and of itself has so many of those caramel, vanilla, toasted marshmallow notes. So to have that rye backbone helps bring it balance. It really does, you know, like to help, like you said, bring that boldness, bring that spice that's going to help balance out that vanilla and that caramel so amazingly well that it just makes it coveted. I mean, let's be honest, Knob Creek is, is a coveted brand because it's so delicious and it's, you know, not too ridiculously high in proof. You know, even our, our single barrels at, at 120 are still very palatable and full of flavor. And we were talking about Booker. I just, I think Booker would be really excited to see how this portfolio has grown his his small batch collection has definitely grown and we saw bookers do it first but knob creek was really that second one in the the small batch family to get a family of its own yeah and i think as a result kind of the jump from bourbon to like rye is not as big as people often assume you know what i mean it's because it's you know we, we all forget how much rye is in bourbon the two are, are more interrelated than than maybe even people realize yeah, and I think culturally too, it's sort of it's significant because you know, as as we all know, the rye was our first whiskey style, more or less, made here in the U.S. Um, and I think that rye definitely was the the driving whiskey of of the times up until you know the 
late 1800s probably. And, and then for bourbon to kind of be growing on the coattails of rye as the bourbon industry matured. And then after prohibition, when rye sort of dropped off and then you saw bourbon sort of taken over and again, kind of to the point of this conversation, carrying the torch for rye into the modern era, I think it is sort of appropriate for rye to be getting its renaissance kind of on the coattails of the bourbon boom that's been happening for the last 15 years or so. So I think culturally it's significant and and also makes a lot of sense for me that it's happening that way, you know? Absolutely. I think that's a perfect summation. And and I'm a little shocked that somebody um, who is employed by a, a large Kentucky distiller would um would say that rye came first, which is obviously accurate. But uh, uh, <laughs> even that is a big step. Truth is truth, it. though. Truth yeah. is you, truth. <laughs> you don't let truth get in the way of a good story, but sometimes you you can't let truth get in the way of history, right? So you just got to no. call it like it is. <laughs> no, you're, and, and I think that you're right. That we've seen, you know, the 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 long tail is that bourbon followed rye. Now, and in, in the modern era, rye is following bourbon. So it's it's yeah. interesting that the roles have been reversed. And I think Knob Creek is a great bourbon for this time or a, and a great rye for this time too, because, you know, we have, I consider Knob Creek bourbon to really be that quintessential bourbon. You know, you have the sweetness from vanilla and caramel, you get spice, you got oak, you got that Kentucky hug for that quintessence. And then, you know, when you have the Knob Creek rye, you've got that Kentucky style rye that I like to champion when you talk about ryes from other states or high rye mashes, you know, most, uh, we and our distillery use, you know, just about that 51% rye requirement to make our straight rye. But when we have that backbone of corn to kind of make up the minority along with the malted barley, but that corn's going to let you carry that rye spice to a really long end. Because if you're talking just high rye, depending on how it's made, you know, you're going to get the spice, but you're also going to get the other parts of what rye grain characteristics do to whiskey, which is kind of getting something dry and light. And so if you get that spicy punch in the nose and a punch in the teeth, the spice, it's like that sometimes that dry quick finish isn't really going to make the make the punch worth it right and so i like to have that kentucky style rye which is going to give you that corn uh, base which is going to give you that body and that bottom for that long finish and kind of give you that kentucky hug so if you can get that little punch in both your nose and your teeth you probably want to have a little hug afterwards and so i really like the way that we do our rye and that all is to say that i feel like because we do do that kentucky style rye so well with knob creek I feel like it's a perfect rye for people that are looking to get into the rye category on a premium level. And I Mm -hmm. think that it's kind of that bourbon drinkers rye and almost kind of going backwards, you could kind of bring people into bourbon via Knob Creek if they're already an established rye drinker. So I think it's a really, I love being able to share Knob Creek rye. I love sharing Knob Creek in general, but I think the rye is really cool because it's it's a sipping rye, not just like a a cocktail uh, rye, you know, and you see so many ryes and cocktails mostly, but I, I go to bars and just enjoy a little Knob Creek rye on the rocks myself sometimes. Well, I think it's interesting too. I mean, you, you touched on it a little bit is that, you know, for a long time you had, you know, brands that were made forever, right. You know, the, the overhaul sort of the Jim Beam rye, the yellow label, right. And that, and that, mm-hmm. you know, the, those, those are sort of, liquid history you know they're they're links to the past right because they've been made so long right and they continue to have a certain flavor profile a certain style of rye and obviously we've lost some of the regional styles of rye you know over the last 200 years or so um but then you you know you sort of get this you know then you get like other brands that came on the scene that really tried to harken back to that old style right they were you know pushing you know the 
the traditional rye. And, and then I think Knob was, was one of the first brands really to, to come on and, and kind of, you know, usher in a new chapter of rye whiskey, right? Where it's sort of like, you know, we haven't done this forever, but we do things well. And like, this is our idea of, of rye whiskey for the modern era, you know, and it's, and it sort of takes it into a new direction almost. That crazy or agree? Yeah. No, no, I think no. You're right on. It's definitely. Yeah. So then I was like, oh my god, like is this? Uh, I'm sitting there thinking this is nuts, but uh, no, no, no. I I do think you're right, Beth. You want to go ahead? You're 100 percent right. You know, when we're looking, as Adam kind of alluded to earlier, when you look at that Kentucky style rye that we affectionately call it, Kentucky style rye isn't a real thing. That's just what we like to talk about. Yeah. But it Where could be. I mean, a few it years, could who be. knows? I mean, it could be. But yeah, I, like as you were speaking to, and you know, we've lost things like the Monongahela rye style right. over the years, and we've lost all of those things because people were moving towards bourbon. And let's be honest, we we had those dark ages after Prohibition where bourbon was not a favorite for a lot of people, and it wasn't until around the 80s that we start to see that happen again. And so, like you said, it's very cyclical to where we went went from rye into bourbon and then we're going back into rye and just really looking back to the roots and spending that time developing Knob Creek in the way that it would be approachable and stand on its own. Yeah. And I mean, you had the, the stalwarts, you know, the jim beam the rye one which is a little bit ahead of its time you had overholt <laughs> you know which uh which a name that was popping up in the trade with old with rittenhouse and things like that but i think that when knob creek rye came out you know just under 10 years ago at this point um the fact that before it even hit a liquor store shelf or a back bar in the united states or anywhere in the world it had been sent to the San Francisco World Spirits Competition and won Best Rye that year mm-hmm. that it came out like before it even. So it was kind of like right. this really cool announcement and accolade to be able to bring, uh, you know, a, a known name like Knob Creek with the bourbon, being able to kind of just sort of bolster the credentials and capabilities of what we can do at our distillery and what our teams do at the distillery uh, day in and day out and always do. That just really drives awesome whiskey, whether that's bourbon or rye. But just to be able mm-hmm. to say best rye, not best rye under seven years old or best rye under a hundred dollars, just straight up best rye, yeah. best in show. You know, it was just really, <laughs> I was very proud of it. You know, I thought it was really cool. I think Knob has, has done such a good job with different ages and cast strength and finding unique and interesting barrels of bourbon to, to, to bottle over the years. Do you think that we'll see like a lot of the innovations and techniques you know finishing you know the the whiskey in a second type of barrel do you think that we'll start to see that in rye like do you think that the modern era of rye will echo you know some of the innovations and creativity that we've been seeing in bourbon over the last and even single malt scotch too really i mean over the last decade or so some of the heaviest coolest hitters We've had come out, in my opinion, uh, over the last couple of years. Like I, I love the Knob Creek Cast Strength Ride that's come out the last two summers, um, or the last two years, excuse me. I think that's fantastic stuff. I think that you'll see us tinker around with some other rye brands coming up here in the future that you might already be privy to. <laughs> um, but especially even following Beth on her Instagram, there's been some talk about that out there <laughs> <laughs> recently, but um, that's a different story to tell. Um, but I think that, you know, when you look at, the nose and you look at Booker kind of really ushering in the small batch into the world as he did uh, as its innovator. And then Fred, what he's done out there in the world. And then Freddie coming up as our eighth generation distiller, not master distiller yet. So make sure to remind me, 
but uh, just <laughs> as, as a distiller, he um, he's very innovative. And I think that yeah. some of the projects that you've seen him working on, I can only imagine that as time moves on, there's going to be some really cool stuff happening with Knob Creek rye and then just rye overall and the way that we uh, work with it and, and develop flavors from it and aromas from it out in Kentucky. So I think we have a very bright future. I think innovation is definitely going to play, play an important part of that, but, you know, always making sure that we stay true to the roots of the things that got us there. And so Knob Creek will always be uh, very, very important to us, whether we're talking things on the cornier side or on the spicier side. I, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And I think the category of rye is just going to continue to evolve. But I, I really do believe that it's going to have its own identity, right? Like um, you were asking if it was going to follow the same suit as the finishes and stuff. And maybe it will. But I think because rye is such a unique grain in and of itself, and then the distillation process of rye and where we are making our Kentucky style rye versus anything else, I think you're going to see it harken back a bit to what it was before and almost being an homage to history first and then start mm -hmm. to move a little bit more into that innovation category but the the limit does not exist with what we can do you know to yeah all of that when we when i started working for beam centauri's whiskeys and 14 years ago or whatever it is now like <laughs> that we made we made rye once a month and then seven years ago we started making rye like twice a month <laughs> and now we make rye a little bit more than that now but it's it's just crazy to see like how unbelievable you know, supply, pr production and demand you know and what that and what that does but it's uh it's a big deal you know to, to shut down the bourbon run and reset for rye and all the little picadillos that rye has while it's being fermented and distilled mm -hmm. and you know cleaning that still again to get ready for a bourbon run you know, doing that a few times or as many times a month as we have to now to keep up with demand, it's, you know, it puts a little, puts a little pressure on labor, but it's, it is a, a labor of love, you know, to some extent, because we, people are loving rye right now. So, yeah. and I don't think that's going to go away. I don't think that the American whiskey boom is going to, going to go anyway anytime soon, to be honest. But, um, you know, just, just making sure that we're getting that rye out there and keeping up with demand and who knows, we're trying to forecast as well as we can for, for age products and what people are going to be drinking, uh, four or five, 10 years down the road. But <laughs> Doing our best probably... to be Booker. <laughs> That's right. That's Booker right. had that, that wherewithal and that foresight. And so thanks for, for Fred and Freddie, because they've got the genes to do the same. Also what people often don't realize is that rye, you know, it, it, it is harder to distill, right? I mean, the mash is stickier, yeah. it's harder to mm -hmm. clean, you have foaming issues. And I think part of what held back rye as a category early on, like in the modern era, is that people were, you know, struggling to sort of figure out how to, how to make it. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. you know, Beam had definitely had an advantage in some of the other large distillers in that they had never stopped making it, but even just making it like once a year or once a month you know, as a sort of a relearning process of like, wow, how do we, how do we deal with this stuff? You know, why does it foam so much? You know, how do we get the best out of it? And I think now we've gotten to the point where that knowledge is once again, sort of fairly well known. So we can kind of move into the innovation side and, and, and creativity where it's. Yeah. And I think you see as the rye boom occurred a handful plus years back or 10 years back, you started to see all these little brands popping up that were, you know, more or less, 
independently bottled, but coming from a similar place. And I think that that speaks to that trickiness with rye, right? Like you need to, Mm -hmm. let's go with somebody that we trust until we can, you know, start making our own stuff. And that was, that's how you saw so much rye pop up all of a sudden. But, you know, ourselves, our friends at Wild Turkey, our friends at Heaven Hill, who were staying the course and doing rye as we had uh, in the home state for as long as we had, decades, generations, whatever it might be for each house. But, um, you know, I think that we were able to to start seeing the opportunities to premiumize it from a real authentic position uh, a little bit sooner than maybe some other folks were, if that makes any sense. One of the things that really, you know, helped push the demand for rye was, you know, the sort of rebirth of the cocktail and people wanting to have rye whiskey in, in, in classic Manhattans and old fashions. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think that's still obviously taking place, but, you know, as you're traveling around or, or before 2020, as you were traveling <laughs> yeah. around, um, or talking Wait, people, what, what's that word you used? Like, I don't yeah. remember that word. <laughs> well, we actually Travel. We still leave our houses. Um, yeah. <laughs> do you think that bartenders and drinkers are using rye like in, in more concoction or, or, or in different cocktails than, than they used to? Rye will always have the heart of bartenders. Always, always, always. So the innovation of cocktails and as we move into more you know, trends and even going back, like you said, to the old fashioned Manhattan, I think that rye is always going to be a base that bartenders are happy to use, especially when they have quality and affordability, mm-hmm. um, which is great when it comes to Knob Creek and a lot of the other ryes that we have in the the portfolio of American whiskey at Beam Centauri. So I, I think personally, I mean, as a former bartender, and let's be honest, you never are not a bartender once you were a bartender. <laughs> I will always use rye for my cocktails, you know, and I, I use bourbon too, but rye just, it has such a special place. And when you talk about true Americana, you know, it's, it's rye. So, you know, bourbon is definitely in there too, but like we talked about before, it, it goes back to the very beginning. I think so too. And and, and this is going to be uh, something that we'll be exploring in the, in the days and probably a year or so to come. But as far as cocktail trends go, I don't know if there's going to be a lot of, you know, uh, seasonal trends or, you know, really kind of obscure, expensive uh, trends that are going to dictate how people are going to drink and the the drinks that bars want to serve. And so I think that there's going to be a bit of a return to some simplicity just because of, Mm -hmm. you know, capital and needing to get back on, on our feet as a as a hospitality industry and, you know, so in so many places all across the country or the world. And I think that looking for tried and true base spirits that taste delicious are going to be, you know, the paramount building block of any drink. Not, not that it hasn't been forever at this point, but right. you know, I think it's going to become even more important because you might be going to more of those brown boozy and, and clear cocktails than maybe our 2019 directions had been proving right and i think that there's definitely going to be uh, a desire for a for a good stiff drink out there too when people are out there <laughs> again for socializing sure. and, you know Absolutely. a nice a nice uh, legit 100 proof rye right there that tastes delicious and plays well with everybody in a drink uh and and as i mentioned earlier sits well by itself i think i think we're we're positioned pretty well for welcoming the world back uh when we can the right way safely once uh, some of those those innovations that you have hinted at um, are a little bit further <laughs> along, come back. Happy to uh, taste them as they 
as you work on that. Uh, always happy to taste dry and, and bourbon. So, uh, so cheers. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having us. It's been a blast. Thank you so much for having us. Dave and I encourage you to drink responsibly always. 